You are listening to 91.9 Radio Free Space, WDRT, Viroqua, and this is The Conscious Bro Show. Hello, everybody. My name is William Kyle Glenn. I go by Kyle. Uh, Tony said is not with us today, and I'm here on the line with my special guest today, Dale Pond. How you doing, Dale? Doing very good. And you? Doing great. So I'm excited to have you on, Dale. You, uh... Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. My friend Toby actually referred me to you because of the exciting work you're doing in free energy technology and how do you say it? Sympathetic vibratory physics. Yeah, that's right. Is that the term? Yeah, that's a new term for me. But just to give you a little introduction of Dale Pond, I got this off his site. Dale Pond is a Renaissance man with a diversified yet general background in chemistry, physics, mechanical engineering machinist, metal, metalworking, and tool making, computers, mathematics, acoustics, hydrodynamics, geometry, music, and common law, and some other stuff too. His experience includes technical writing, farming, lecturing, corporate training, business, metal, and woodworking, manufacturing, publishing, and authoring scientific and philosophical journals and books, and he is the maker of musical dinospheres, Atlin, Simial, Altia, Alcia, and Alea. I, I might have said this wrong, but Al Alia. Did I miss anything there? That's pretty extensive, I must say. Yeah, that's that's quite a bit. <laughs> well, let's start with um well yeah, what is that? What is sympathetic vibratory physics? Well, to put it in common terms, it's uh it's the physics of love. And uh, science calls it quantum entanglement. Well, what is the process of entanglement? Why are things, why do things get entangled? Why, why do they remain entangled? And what are the physics of that entanglement process? So all of this was discovered by John Keeley back in the 1880s and mentioned by many others uh, even before him. And uh, we're only now beginning to get an idea about it, what all this stuff is, but uh, it has to do with mind, consciousness, awareness, which is all part of the same um, area or arena of, of uh, discovery and process. Yeah, Schauberger talked about it, uh, Walter Russell wrote immensely about it, and it's it's getting to become a big subject around the world because what's missing in our world today? Love. Love. Mm -hmm. That's right. So people are wondering what it is and how it can be and how we can be more loving and more lovable and all that kind of stuff. But it also applies directly to physics, and that's what's also coming out. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, I mean, when you say, like, the, the physics of love, so you're meaning that you could actually describe what love is in a scientific, like, tangible way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. The problem is uh, terminology. Right. Um, every field of science, every field of endeavor that people dig into, they create their own jargon. And... That instead of bringing people together so they can talk about these things, it separates them because we got to fight through all the jargon. You know, Keeley has his own language, and Russell's got his own language, and Schauberger's got his own language, Steiner's got his own language, 
and science, all the different fields of science. They all got their own jargon. So it's a, it's a question of teaching oneself to explore the meaning and intent of the words being used by that particular person. So if you just quote the word, it's just a label. So it doesn't really convey a whole lot of meaning. It conveys some meaning, but but if you go dig for the meaning behind the words, behind the terms, mm-hmm. then you start seeing what's what's really going on. What everybody's talking. Everybody's talking about the same thing. They just talking different language. So you got to kind of do the work to connect to the concepts. These people might be calling them different things, but they're talking about the same thing behind the word in a lot of instances. Exactly. Exactly. How do you begin? I mean, can you go in a little bit more into depth? How do you begin to scientifically or through the field of physics describe what love is? I mean, is there any more you can give us there? Uh, yeah. Um, there again, it's a, it's, a, it's a process of how you use terms. Um, when I first got into this, I kept running into the term sympathetic. And I couldn't find a definition that seemed to work. And uh, the first definition I found that that it gave me an aha moment was when was Edgar Casey. He said it means as one. So you got two or more things behaving or acting as one object. And that's like two tuning forks that are tuned to the same pitch. You strike one and the other starts to vibrate. Same thing as resonance, um, same thing as quantum entanglement. But everybody's got their real, their very narrow definitions and and uses of these terms. So it develops a, not really complicated, but people seem to want to make it complicated. But when you start to get an idea of what love is, where two objects, two or more objects are behaving in the same manner and way and react the same manner and way of, of other things. They can said they can be said to be in a state of love. So they're they're like harmonizing with each other. They're vibrating on the same frequency. Is that Yeah, they're vi- they're vibrating as one. They're acting as one. They're reacting as one. And uh, well a good example is a bunch of guys jamming a music session. They're not reading the music, but they're reading each other mm-hmm. and reacting to each other in the same way, which is a pretty dynamic uh, metaphor. Well, I can't tell you how relevant that is to my life because we've been doing a lot of that <laughs> recently, so that, thank you for sharing that. Um, so then I would imagine then when you're resonating together, that just like the byproduct of that is the feeling, like this really euphoric feeling that we call love then. I guess just in resonating with each other that creates uh, – a great feeling then yeah well it, 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 mostly what it does is it removes bad feelings okay so you remove you remove the discords and the bad feelings and the and the scratches and the, you know what do you got left you got harmony well harmony is a, is a synonym for love wow so it's almost like the bad feelings are almost the discord in and of itself it's almost that chaos a vibration that yeah. creates that that bad feeling. Yeah, and vibration on different levels, you know, like thought and action and words and all those discords to harmony. 
you know, and that's what we're all looking for, right? Our lives are a little bit chaotic here and there and whatnot, and we just want that peace. We're all seeking that peace, which is another synonym for love. And um, so some of us go to great lengths to to get away from noisy people and get away from mm-hmm. noisy situations and, and to cultivate that sense of inner peace. And it's from that center of inner peace where everything comes from. Right. And we can get in. We can get into that subject because a, a, meta, a, a, a synonym for that inner peace is God. But totally. the religious, the religious people have distorted that concept so bad that uh, sometimes it might be better to set that whole thing aside and, and look at it from this perspective of harmony or discord. So you're either in harmony, which is health and happiness, or you're in discord, which is disease and chaos. So those are the two main states that we can be in or that all things can be in. So it boils down to a choice when we're talking about people. So then something about this this state of inner peace, this sympathetic vibration, this love, is not only a powerful state for yourself just to be in or for humanity to be in or for you to be in resonance with someone else. It's actually power, powerful enough to animate objects or to, to, to animate machinery. Is that correct? Yeah, it's that inner peace or quietness or... I mean, there's, I made a, there's a list on the wiki, like a hundred terms for that inner peace uh, metaphors God um, love sympathy and all power and force comes from that stillness um, back in the 60s the, the, the Soviets the Soviets don't exist anymore but they were in the 60s they uh, explored all this and they began to realize how much power is actually sitting there in what we call vacuum and it's since become quite known and understood and engineered and engineering and that stillness that quietness that vacuity is where all energy comes from and when we dig into the physics that Keeler was working on it took me years to, to see it but once I saw it man it's all over his work you look at the Russell Walter Russell's work and he wrote books about this about the, what do you call it the, the still magnetic light he had so many terms for it it's, uh, it was crazy and uh, it's the, and science calls it scalar or scalar potential and they know that that's where the energy is that's where the power is and everybody's been trying to figure out well how do you trigger that power well, the Soviets uh, figured out a way to do it, and they actually made a healing machine that would heal people uh, using that principle. And, and uh, Tom Bearden talked about it. He, he classified it as tickling the Dirac Sea. <laughs> you said the so, you said the Soviets made a machine. Is there a name for that device they made? I believe. Yeah, I believe it's called a Sinar. S-E-N-A-R. It's on the wiki. I think that's the way it's spelled. Okay. So this this energy out of the vacuum 
that you're talking about, I assume that that's related to this sympathetic vibration that you're saying, this this inner peace. Exactly, love. it's the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. How do these uh, scalar waves relate to that? Is that also another word for the same thing, or is that a different aspect of it? Uh, depending how rigorous you want to get on your definitions, um, <laughs> scalar means uh, having no vector. It's got potential, but no vector. And when you say scalar waves, well, then you give it a vector, in which case it's no longer scalar. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So it depends how you want to define your terms. And, and uh, a lot of terms out there floating around the Internet are just uh, what people pick up and repeat, and they never... They never dig into it, you know, no rigor. Well, I guess we could say scalar forces. Uh, I understand that that's related to the power of the mind or that's similar to what we would think of the force of our mind, scalar. Yeah, it's, uh, well, there's two main uh, conditions or states of mind. And one is the mind of God, so to speak which is what they're referred to in Genesis as the void. That mind is pure scalar. It has no motion, no vector. It's just it's like a monk sitting there meditating. It's just awareness. And then you have the other kind of mind, which is the thinking mind, our ego minds, our intellects. And that's what I refer to as split mind or, or the intellect. And it's polar, and it moves all over the place, drives us nuts, solves our problems so the scalar is the non-thinking knowing mind okay it's almost like to me what I think of when you say that is a mind that's come into harmony with this peaceful vibration or this loving or the heart I guess right like the this love vibration that you're talking about yeah it's a lot like uh, what they talk about in heart heart force or heart energy or heart mm -hmm. being that's the non-thinking, knowing part of our consciousness. And, and uh, that's the sympathy, the love, the oneness with all the universe. Because this, uh, this state of love and, and inner peace is throughout the universe. Everywhere. Have these scalar forces been studied by any, like, uh, I don't know, universities or scientists is this kind of a theory or is this like proven through experimentation and such or yeah there's a lot of investigation being done about it that has been done about it um, like I said Keeley developed an entire science and physics around that concept and he used it to drive his machines and the way his material was written um, and the lack of people's understanding of what scalar is um, didn't allow us to see and understand that's what he was doing up until recently. And surprisingly, is uh, Walter Russell wrote endlessly about it. I mean, once you see it in his writings, it's, it's just filled with it. And I've never seen any Walter Russell scholar ever once mention it. So they're missing it. They never mentioned Scalar? Or what did they not mention? They don't mention... Um, that Walter was actually writing about the scalar and the scalar potential and, and okay. all this kind of thing. They people tend to repeat what other people say, so they they tend to 
quote Russell all the time, but they don't dig in behind the words. You know, what is this man trying to tell us? And it's taken me years. You know, I'm no great guy. I just, I'm just persistent. And um, I started seeing, well, that's what Russell's writing about. That's what all these books are all about. And who, and I'm not too familiar with Walter Russell. Could you, um, what did he do? What was his contribution? He is what they called the Leonardo da Vinci of the 20th century. Okay. Jeez, was, I should know then. <laughs> yeah, he was a polymath. He was a, a tremendous artist and a sculptor and architect and businessman. And he just did all kinds of stuff, amazing stuff that one human being could do what he was doing. And he wrote a lot and he discovered elements to the table of elements that hadn't been discovered and he designed and built some free energy machines and uh, I guess he's mostly known for his artwork. He was a tremendous artist. Okay. And by free energy machines you're talking about like pulling energy out of the void like creating more output than input type of stuff? Yeah, that type of stuff. Okay. And then let's get in. Let's get more in depth about John Keeley. Who was John Keeley? You know, what exactly did he do to be specific? Well, he was an inventor back in the eighteen sixties. He invented a type of motor that ran off of uh, variations in water and air pressure, and, and water hammer was active in these devices, and he built over a hundred different models trying to perfect that particular uh, method of driving a machine. And um, as a result of his work, some people, some business people got interested and they put together a company and they started selling stock to raise money so Keeley could continue his development work. And of course all those guys were liars, thieves, and crooks. and they boomed the stock and ripped the whole thing off and Keeley wound up holding a very empty bag and somewhere around that time he realized that there's another source of energy here that he wasn't working on he says he was trying to put the ether to work in these machines he thought ether was a source of energy that could power these machines and he got to a point where he said uh, well, that's not going to work. You know, ether can be a carrier, but it's not the source. So he started to work on the source, which is what we just got done talking about, the scalar and scalar potential and vacuum energy and all that stuff. So he started employing that in a totally new design and models of these machines, and he started making tremendous progress. And, um, well, what eventually happened was he he got so far ahead of all the scientists and engineers around him that nobody could understand anything he was doing. He was disassociating atoms in the 1880s. He was the first guy to come along and say, because in that time period, you got to go back and put yourself in the history. Yeah, that's like before electricity almost, right? I mean, when was electricity invented? Well, in that time period, Every scientist and every engineer knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that atoms were indivisible. Mm-hmm. That's the way it was. Well, here comes Keeling, splitting atoms 16 ways from Sunday, doing all this kind of 
fantastic, amazing work. And of course, that conflicted with the so-called truth that the atoms can't be split. And so everybody started writing him off. Oh, you can't split atoms, that's BS, you know. Well, so he started getting way ahead of everybody else around him. They started complaining about it. Some of them, uh, you know, went to his workshop and saw what he was doing, and, and they said, yep, he's really doing something here. We have no idea how and why he's doing it, but we see that it works. So he was just too far ahead of his time. And then the bad guys, the robber barons, who were at that time monopolizing the electrical and power industry, they saw Keeley as a tremendous threat. So they kind of boxed him in, business-wise and other ways, so that he couldn't get his work out into the public and, you know, made him look bad and tried to put him in jail a couple of times and keep humanity down and in their control. Right on. Well, you are listening to Radio Free Space 91.9 WDRT, and this is The Conscious Bro Show. I'm here on the phone with Dale Pond, and we're talking about sympathetic vibratory physics, the science and the physics behind love and harmonic resonance, and we're talking about John Keeley and his contribution to the world and how he was able to use that frequency to power uh, machines, basically. So to get back to what you're saying, though, Dale, um, that reminds me a lot of kind of what happened to Nikola Tesla. I mean, that's that's the, the thing that comes into mind. I mean, someone's almost like developed something well far ahead of their time and you know the the implications of that could really liberate humanity in so many ways that um certain people that are that have power might lose some of that power so they tend to steer humanity away from that direction at least from what i understand yeah that's pretty typical you know and there's been dozens of people since keely's time and tesla's time that that have run up against the bad guys and they wound up in prison or dead and their research and inventions disappeared it's not new mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's a sad state of affairs so you said he was so he was splitting atoms like how's he how how was he doing that uh similar to not the way we do it today the way we do it is is uh get a bigger hammer philosophy. You know, you're going to break something, just get a bigger hammer. Mm -hmm. On his day, he said, well, you know, we can play a violin to a wine glass, and the wine glass will shatter. Well, what's the difference between Adam and a wine glass? Just play a different note. So he he was doing it with uh, vibration and, I guess, music. Sound and vibration. Sound and vibration. So he would... That's a that's a good way to think of it, right? Because if you hit a certain vibration, it'll shatter a wine glass. So you're saying if you hit a certain vibration, you can split an atom. That's right. Well, yeah, he understood sound and vibration different than we do today. Sounds like and, it. Uh, yeah, he had a a very comprehensive and very deep understanding of these things that um, it challenges. Challenges people today to uh, get a handle on what he was saying about sound and vibration. 
it requires a shift in consciousness, which is what Steiner was referring to. You know, humanity needs to grow into this. They all said the same thing, Steiner and Walter Russell and Schauberger. They're all, they all complained about the sad state of humanity's uh, consciousness, mm-hmm. that we need to grow our consciousness. I mean, how do you understand what love is if you're just a moron? <laughs> right on. What, what does spl- these splitting these atoms do, though? Are you saying by splitting these atoms that somehow connects to um, mobilizing objects or what? Yeah, you clearly started with some molecule of water, or, you know, molecules, like a drop of water. And he would split those molecules into atoms using sound and vibration. And then he would take the hydrogen and oxygen and split those into their component parts, which are electrons, protons, and neutrons. And then he'd split those into quarks and whatever, whatnot. And these finer levels, remember, in his day, atoms were indivisible. So when he started breaking these atoms apart deliberately, he'd wind up with a substance that had no name because nobody ever imagined an atom had parts to it. So he'd call them uh, ether. I mean, what else are you going to call it? He'd call it ether, and then he would break that split that and then you call it interetheric substance. How would he even know that he was splitting it though? I mean like but these these are so small. I mean was he is he looking under a microscope or how how does he even have that awareness that that's happening? Well you put a a few drops of water into a sealed container and when you split those molecules, they will expand eighteen hundred times. Okay. So all of a sudden you got all this pressure in this container. And there's a lot of there's stories where he kept blowing up machines and blowing up his laboratory and until he learned to get a handle on these pressures that he was dealing with. 100,000 PSI was unheard of in those days. Totally unheard of, but mm-hmm. he was doing it routinely. And so as he kept disassociating these particles into smaller and smaller particles, they get more and more power and pressure uh, he could fire a cannon off with them like it was dynamite you know that's what happens with dynamite you you split those molecules apart and what do you got left you know subatomic gases expanding at a tremendous rate that's all all the same thing once you look into it and start getting a handle what's, what they were doing well yeah of course that's what he was doing how could it have been otherwise Let's let's talk about some some of his inventions. What was he able to do with some of this power? What what did what did he develop? Well, one invention that caused a big stir around eighteen in the eighteen eighties was he developed a device that would disintegrate crystalline minerals like quartz, turn it into powder. And some mining people asked him to demonstrate it, and in 18 minutes, he walked into this face, quartz, uh, this uh, quartz rock face. 18 minutes, he went in 18 feet deep, and all that was left on the floor was this very, very fine powder. 
if there was any gold in that particular sample, then it was sitting there in the powder because metal won't disintegrate like that. Mm-hmm. And another, um, he made a uh, levitating device that he flew all around Philadelphia and other places, and uh, that which was true levitation. He understood. When you start reading this guy, it's almost unbelievable what he was doing. And he made uh, motors. He could power industry. They made a big one. To, they were ran a sawmill with it. And then, then there was a story that they were building a big one where they were going to install it in a locomotive to replace steam. Well, we never found any subsequent articles. You know, did they actually complete it? You know, whatever happened to that? So he and he was powering this. Would you say that he was powering this through these scalar forces, through these mind forces, in in harmony with this this love vibration? Is that what you? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's true. How how was he able to connect that that high love vibration? How was he able to transfer that into something that could actually move an object? He spent a number of years developing a special wire an alloy of silver, gold, and platinum. And he said these three metals, when combined appropriately, were the perfect conductor of sympathy. Sympathy being a synonym for love. Once, see, once you start dealing with the sympathy thing, this love thing, and you can transfer it through a wire to some device, then in that device, that energy is differentiated, which means it's released. It becomes refracted, you know, like you're exploding something. It goes from from uh, non-motion into tremendous motion. Wow. And that's what, that's what he was doing, and um, in part, you know, he's doing so much things. One machine he made, he could he could draw a symbol on the wall of his shop with a piece of chalk. And the motor across the room would start. So he understood the the connection, mechanical connection between thought, the human brain, and mechanical devices. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the guy was. The guy was amazing. Is it true? So, from what I understand from Steiner and Paul Emerson that one of the issues that he ran into frequently was that these machines would not work without him present. Like there was something like the machine was the way they put it is the way that he set it up, like with this conductor that you're saying, and maybe that his, that he had, he himself was, you know, at a high resonance with this, this love harmonic force that um, it was almost like it was running off of his own life forces or something. Would you agree with that? Or how, how do you, how did it work? Well, that's only partly part of the story. Um, in the beginning, as he was building these machines and whatnot, that was entirely true. But then, because he was trying to build machinery for industry, he had to overcome that. So he spent a number of years developing a process or modifications or whatever so that anybody could run these machines. Not anybody. We've learned in our own work that not just anybody can do this because if you got a bad attitude, 
you're not going to be able to work with love because it's just not going to work. Um, these forces tend to assimilate and accumulate into a like a given location depending on the mind and the attitude of the people working with it. If the people have a bad attitude, the energy simply won't accumulate. It'll just disperse. And that would be because, like we said earlier, like that negative vibration, that bad attitude is almost like a chaotic discord where the energy's all over the place. But when you get in that harmonic vibration, it's it's more like imbalanced and um, and it's kind of flowing in one direction. Is that a good way to look at it? It's not flowing. It just is in one place. It just is in one place. Okay. So you can accumulate this energy in one place using love or whatever synonym you want to use, and then you, you disturb that equilibrium. Then you have motion. And the Keeley material is filled with this with this term, a disturbance of equilibrium. Equilibrium is balance, harmony, vacuum, whatever. So he would he would create a situation where the the energy accumulated, and then he would disturb it, and that would release all this pent up energy. That makes sense. I, I think so. Yeah. Okay, that's the same process that Walter Russell talked about over and over and over and over again. And Schauberger talked a lot about it over and over and over. And I'm sure if I read Steiner like I have these other guys, I could find that and point it out to you in Steiner's terms. But uh, I haven't. I, I can only read and study so much stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it's important to bring out that like this. So this is not being powered by any type of electricity. I mean, it, this force is not electrical, is it? That you're talking about? Depending how you tickle it. Depending how you disturb it, you're going to get different types of energy from it. So it depends. What do you want? So when the when the Soviets made that healing device, they were just fooling around with it. They didn't understand all the fine aspects to it. So they, in in Bearden's terms, he said they would tickle the Dirac Sea. Well, the Dirac Sea is a scalar situation. And depending how you tickle it, you would get a certain energy manifestation from it. And they managed to, to contrive a healing type energy coming from this device of theirs. And he, Bearden also said they went on and they learned more about it as they went along and they finally come up with a healing device that would heal anything, almost anything. Because they learned how to disturb that equilibrium in such a way to get out of it what they wanted to do a certain thing. So it's like a base energy that could be transformed in a, into many different types of energy depending on what we're looking for. That's right. And right. what you were talking about earlier, like it, it only works if, you, if you're able to be in that harmonic vibration. Like if you have a bad attitude, it won't work. That's the essence of this thing that Steiner talks about, uh, moral technology. Am I correct? That's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, you got to ask yourself, what is moral technology? You know, when I first read that phrase from Steiner, I said, "What the heck is that?" You know, and um, I sense for the, over the years, I've read, thought about it, and thought about it, and I watched what we've been doing, and 
whatnot. Moral technology means being a person of moral character, where you're not a bad guy. You're not thinking negative thoughts all the time. You have stature and you have strength. And um, when you get down to the definition of scalar, from all these, you know, you look at that list of synonyms on the wiki, and you begin to get a feel for this thing, it's not just scalar, and it's not just God, and it's not just love. It's all of these things and a whole lot more, all wrapped up into one big, huge monster definition that changes a person when you start to see and understand from that level. That's what I meant, that um, an undeveloped consciousness is not going to do this work because they don't have enough awareness or or um, comprehension or wisdom or whatever how you want to say it to be able to deal with these forces in a way that they're not going to cause more trouble than they're trying to trying to solve. You know, like the, the Fantasia movie where Mickey is trying to do the be the magician and yeah. sorcerer's apprentice. Yeah, that's what that's what happened. You start messing around with these forces, and you don't have a good personality or or consciousness. You you, you, know, you can develop more problems than you want to deal with. Sounds like uh, human history. <laughs> yeah, we've just been stumbling along all these centuries from one chaos to another chaos to another chaos, and it's only been people like Keely or Jesus Christ who have come along and said, "Hey guys, this is what." really going on and you can do all these marvelous things if you get your mind straight and who listens yeah it makes sense I'm hearing you put it the way that you're doing it and it, it, with this moral technology I mean it's an amazing fail safe too I mean you know I mean yeah. <laughs> you have to be kind of right in your mind and, and basically producing harmonic vibrations through your being which will generate that power and if you're not then it won't work which will also protect from harmful outcomes based on your use of the technology right right we've heard all of us have heard stories of lone inventors working in their basement or their garage and they come up with this gizmo and the thing works well they take it down to a local university or engineering department or someplace and it won't work well that older guy working in his garage or shop he has developed within himself a certain type of this love thing and so the energy condenses and accumulates into his device and he can it will work with him it's like working with a with a kid or a small animal or something they will play with you if you're a playful loving person but you hand it off to an egghead down at the university <laughs> and no, we don't want to play with this guy. He's a jerk. It doesn't work. Well, well, I'll tell you, when I'm super frustrated and um, fed up and confused on a computer, it seems like the computer doesn't work for me. I don't know if that's related at all, but that always seems to happen. Whenever I'm getting really frustrated, the computer will either freeze or not work or whatever. That's true. That could I just be in my mind, was... but... <laughs> Yeah, it's that's exactly right. I ha I had a brother. He, he's passed on, but he was uh, he's one of these simple people who could do things simply, and he was good with uh, heavy machines.
machine, like tractors and road graders and all that kind of stuff. And he could make things run all day long, and he could, you know, just do a perfect work job with it. But um, if you're not in that mind space, you can't do it. I'm not a machinist like that. I can't really operate those heavy machines. I can, but not like he was an artist. And I get on him, and I basically fight with the machines, and I don't get the same result that he got. So it's it's not the it's it's the consciousness. I mean, when you see an artist work, a true artist, you sit there and watch them do their work. They're quiet. They're centered. You know, and they can pull these colors out or shapes and forms or whatever artwork they're doing. But um, it's an art form. Clearly, science was more art than science. So he could do all these. The blend of both. Yeah, and Walter Russell the same way because he could do this tremendous artwork and he could build these machines. And um, if you don't have both of those, like music, you know, you get technical musicians and then you get people who can really do music. And usually those people are uneducated in music, they just know how to do it. And um, so it's an art form that pulls from inside. And when I say that, I mean it pulls in from the whole mind. You're working with the whole mind. Instead of a technically trained, uh, ego, ego, uh, intellectualized practice, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, you are listening to Radio Free Space 91.9 WDRT. And I'm here on the phone with Dale Pond, and we're talking about uh, the life work of John Keeley and this these amazing inventions that he brought to the table, basically able to uh, to move uh, objects with this uh, pow- with this harmonic vibration, animate objects with this harmonic vibration, and free energy devices and some other amazing things. One question I wanted to ask you, Dale, is what would you say? Because I can only imagine, you know, some of the listeners might be rolling their eyes thinking this is, I mean, might sound interesting, but it's pretty fantastical. You know, what what would you say to them? How how can we, like, how would you say is this a real thing? How could you challenge somebody to, like, open up their mind and explore this as a real alternative rather than, I guess, a fairy tale? Well, um, we made a replica of one Achilles machines called a musical dinosaur. And we built that in the winter of 1995 and 96, not really knowing anything about what we were doing. We had a couple of black and white photographs of the original machine, and um, we had this tremendous desire to replicate that, thinking that we were going to create a free energy machine because that's what the stories were in the magazines and newspaper articles from that time period. And I happened to know a world-class psychic, and I said, can you talk to John Keeley and ask him what metals we make this out of and dimensions and all all the stuff you need to know to do that? And and she said, sure. He says, do this, do that, the other thing. Well, eventually we had 200 readings or more in, in making that machine all the time thinking we're making a free energy machine. And we get it all built, and it doesn't do anything. It just sits there. So 
I took it to a energy conference in Denver in the summer of 96. First time out in public. And um, it has its own display table. It's rather large. It's, it weighs 130 pounds. And I had it sitting on that table, and I come back from lunch one day, and here's all these women standing around this dinosaur. And they had their hands stretched out to it, the palms of their hands stretched out to it, as though they were warming their hands on a fire. And they were all very solemn, standing there just doing this. And I, I kind of, wow, you know, what's going on here? And I, and I asked them, what are you guys doing? And the one lady said, we're standing here feeling the love come off this machine. And that was like the, de the death thing, you know, when you die, everything passes in front of your eyes and everything. It was kind of like it, that to me. Because I had built this thing, I didn't feel anything coming from it. She chose to call it love, and all the women, so there was eight or ten women standing in a circle around this thing, and they all nodded in agreement with what she said. And um, I said, wow, okay. So, as I, so that's how you know. And I had an engineer friend, the most competent engineer I ever met, real good friend of mine. And we were talking about this, you know, shortly after this event. And I said, George, because he wouldn't believe in it. I said, George, you don't have to believe me. You know, come to the next conference, which will be in, uh, I think it was Santa Fe, New Mexico. You come to the conference and stand over in a corner and watch all these people interact with this dinosaur. I'll just stand there and you watch. And he did. And he, he came and he literally stood in the corner so as not to interfere with anybody. And he watched all these people, mostly women, who were interacting with this energy from this dinosaur. And uh, he came up to me later and he says, yep, you certainly got an energy machine, all right. <laughs> but he, he couldn't define it because he didn't know what he was looking at. Well, we had it in a, in a spiritual center in Tulsa for quite a while. And I kind of stood in the corner watching people interact with it because I wanted to know what was going on. I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what this energy was. And the only thing we could do was observe and take notes and research. And that's what I did for months. And I began to understand a few things that I, you know, like what love is and um, how people interact with that. And if you, every now and then somebody come in who wasn't a loving person. And we could see what those reactions were too. So eventually we built this paradigm what were those reactions if they weren't loving? Uh, they started getting more and more uncomfortable, and they finally leave. Okay. Because this machine was was pumping out this love energy, for lack of another way of saying it. It was pumping out this. It created this love field around it, this, sympath, this field of sympathy, and we started seeing people being healed. Physical healings, emotional healings, mental healings, spiritual healings, and um, so I had to build a paradigm that would account for that. We had one doctor 
bring in one of his patients who was a little bit off mentally, not not nuts or anything, but just a little bit socially uncomfortable. And, and the doctor said, he was, as he was leaving, he said, you need to put one of these in every clinic in this country. Wow. He saw the changes that happened in his patient. And we saw all these healings and everything going on. And, and um, what is what is the main healing force in the healing industry? It's not chemicals and pharmaceuticals, guarantee you that. It's TLC. They train the nurses to, to, to have this TLC around them when they're dealing with patients. And it's that love that mm-hmm. heals people. Because what is love? Love is harmony. And when you don't have harmony in their body, what you got? You got disease, a discordant situation. So you bring love into them, help them learn to love themselves and everything, and they heal and they walk out. And that's what was happening. So I can't offer that up as scientific proof because we don't have any gadget or instrument to measure that energy yet. Um, But we can watch it happen time after time after time after time. And I made seven of these dinosaurs over the years. And they all have this characteristic. So we got repeatability. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and testimonials. Testimonials, thousands of testimonials, thousands of witnesses. I mean, at what point do you say, okay, there's something really here to be looked at? And um, we've passed that point. But science is not interested because they can't. Well, the way science is structured today, you know, they say, well, we want to make a pill so we can charge money for the pill. And mm-hmm. and that's, that's the way they treat it. They aren't looking to heal people. They're looking to make money. So you uh, you set out to, to create a free energy device, and you created a healing device. Yeah. Basically. So what is that essentially what Keeley had? He had almost like a healing device that – but he somehow took it another level to where that was actually able to to move an object? Yeah. Well, this dinosphere was, uh, the ones he made, actually rotated. Mm-hmm. So when they rotate, you got a shaft coming out of it. You attach whatever work you want to do on the shaft. And uh, today we would attach a generator to it, generate electricity to run all of our electrical appliances. In his day, nobody had electrical appliances. They just had steam power to rotate shafts. And those shafts were used to drive other machines, entire factories. So that's what he was trying to do, was, was come up with this replacement for steam. And uh, what he did, but, like I said, there were market forces against him bringing that out into public. So are you still working on, I mean, are you just more now more concerned with just developing the, the healing dinosphere? Or are you still working towards taking it to the level that Keeley did to where he could actually use this to, to animate objects and such and create well, free energy? What we're doing is we're using our dinosaur experience to more perfectly understand this dynamic between the scalar potential and the kinetic motion of a shaft. Mm -hmm. There 
there's a huge science involved in that. And the Soviets learned a little bit about it, and different people over the years have stumbled on it but didn't really understand the physics behind it. Um, where I want to get to is I want to understand it enough that I can write a book on it so that you or anybody so interested can take the book and get make the phenomena happen. Because no one's ever written that out that I know of. Keeley may have written out written it out in his books, but we've never found his books. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Does it, does he have any material you can follow at all, or did you have to kind of just piece it together through other means? Uh, well, yeah, all of that. Um, we found quite a bit that he's written small magazine articles, newspaper articles. We found a lot of newspaper magazine articles written by other people who had no idea what they were witnessing. And then couple that with uh, my persistence in pursuing what is Scalar and what is Russell talking about? What is this, what did Keeley really do? And I figured out that that's what they were doing. There's not much material on how they did it. Just that they did it. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they described the process in their terminology which is not our terminology, so I'm trying to, so that's what I've been on. I've been studying what they've been doing and studying what they say and studying anything anybody ever said about this, like Bearden wrote about the Soviets and whatnot. And, and uh, there's been some mathematicians and other physicists over the years who have stumbled on this and written about it, but no one's written about it in a practical way that I've seen. Yeah, I think that would be, I think that would be awesome to do something like that. Are you incorporating um, music at all, like he did, or vibration? Uh, some of the principles of music, yeah. The principles of music are the same principle that runs all this physics. Okay. Um, one more thing, we we don't got too much more time, but I just wanted to quickly touch on that um, book by Paul Emerson from Ghana Sapor to Silicon Valley because they paint it in that picture like. Um, this moral technology basically is our is our human destiny is the direction that we're meant to go as a human species if we want to evolve and they talk about um, something along the lines of we had an opportunity to go that direction but we chose to go more a more um, humanity as a whole or maybe the leaders of humanity chose to go a more materialistic direction where um they talk about real quickly. They talk about a threefold how humans a threefold being, and we chose to go towards a binary computer system and more of a materialistic electricity electric system when we could have harmonized all our machines through this vibration that you're talking about. Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah, well, it's Steiner's premise uh, primarily, and we've been told through our work that humanity. This is where humanity needs to go with this uh, physics of love or whatever you want to choose to call it. Because if we don't, we're left with this atheistic materialism that we got spread all over the world that treats people not as people but as things. And that's what Steiner called the Aramaic. Ever how you say that word? Armon. Armon. Armonic influence. And 
that's killing people. I mean, look at what's going on out there right now. COVID everywhere, man-made disease killing everybody left and right, right and left. They poison our food, they poison our air. Um, atheistic materialism is, I mean, I don't like to use the word devil, but if there's a devil, that's what it is. And it's out there to kill everybody. In fact, their science is the science of death. Whereas Keeley science and Steiner and Russell are, is the science of life and love. Well, until you bring that life and love into it, what we're dealing with is just death, you know, kill this, kill that, kill everything. And uh, we're faced with it. I mean, it's in our faces now. Nobody can deny that the world's not being totally misused and misdirected. And I mean, it's a freaking nightmare going on out there. All right. We will stop doing that or we continue until we kill ourselves. That's it. I hear that. Um, well, we got like a minute left. Anything that you want to plug? I, I know you have your Pond Science Institute. How can somebody support you there? And if you want to put a website in or something? Well, we can always use donations um, to keep this thing going. And in fact, most of what keeps things going is small donations from time to time from people. And um, But look at this, really look at what's going on. It says, it, we, there needs to be more life and love in our lives. And less of this crap that we see going on every day, all day long. And that's what we can all do. Because if, if we don't do that, we're, we're at the end, shortly. Agreed. And they can find you at svpwiki.com? That's correct. Just okay. uh, places to, to donate are there, or you can read more about the stuff or what we're doing. And that's the depository of, of the vast bulk of this knowledge. Awesome, Dale. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is super fascinating. I'm excited to learn more. I hope you listeners, too, uh, research this for yourself and look deep, dig deeper into this. This is really cool. Thank you so much, Dale. Thank you so much for letting me speak with you. Yeah, no problem. You are listening to 91.9 Radio Free Space, WDRT, and this is The Conscious Bro Show. This is Conscious Bro out.